Our good Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, uh, that you would show us more clearly your son, and that you would give us life through your spirit. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you're new to resurrection, we've been spending the past uh, few weeks in our time walking through some of the Psalms together. And the Psalms, what they are, is they are simply prayers. In the middle of your Bible, there's a collection of 150 of these prayers. And for thousands of years, it is these prayers that have sustained and guided people on their journeys of faith. And One of the reasons why these psalms, this collection of prayers is so helpful for us is because it captures the real broad spectrum of what it means to be human and what we face in life. And so as you read through these psalms and pray these prayers, what you will find is that there is joy and there is grief and there is loss. There are victories and there are humiliating defeats. There is pain and suffering and there is comfort and there is support. There is sin and failure and there is forgiveness and mercy. There are friends and people who are for you and there are enemies and those who are against you. And there is doubt, questioning, Wondering, and there is trust and faith and leading. It's all there. But in every one of these prayers, all of these experiences are God directed. What the Psalms teach us is that all of life, the highs, the lows, everything in between, is meant to be lived in the context of a relationship with God. Psalm after Psalm shows us that we were made for closeness. We were made for connection. We were made for a life-giving relationship with the one who made us. And what I hope is becoming clear in the midst of this series is that there are certain rhythms that happen in this relationship that make up a full life-giving connection and closeness With God. There are six that we are focusing on. We worship, we give thanks, we return, we grieve, we plead for help, and finally we trust. So last week we did worship, this week we did give thanks. Think about it this way on Mother's Day, today, It's good to send these two messages. One, you are awesome. Second, thank you for all that you have done. One of these expresses just awe and wonder saying you are amazing who you are. The other expresses gratitude. It expresses thank you for this litany of ways in which you have cared for me and loved and supported Those are intertwined. They go together, but they can be teased apart. It's a good way to think about the difference between last week and this week. Last week, we looked at a psalm where the writer just looked at God and said, you are awesome. I want to be with you. I want to know you just because of who you are. You are amazing. This week, the psalmist is coming on the other side of that 
saying thank you for all that you have done. And that in turn inspires worship. And so as we consider this morning what it looks like to be truly grateful people, there are two things I want us to consider together. I want us to consider the problem of gratitude and I want us to consider the pathway to gratitude. Gratitude is this good thing that we are pursuing, but there is there's a problem that comes with it and there is a pathway towards it. So first, the problem of gratitude. Why does it matter? And why is it so hard? I want you to go back to the New Testament lesson that was just read. It was this picture, small picture from the life of Jesus, from his journeys, his ministry. And what happens is that he comes across this group of people that are really, really sick. There were many diseases that you could encounter in that day, just like today. But at the very top of the list of diseases that you did not want to come down with was leprosy. And it's leprosy that this group of individuals has. It's a serious skin disease that resulted in a lonely and painful life that eventually resulted in a lonely and painful death. It was a social and physical death sentence. And it's when this group of lepers huddled around one another. Here's, a st- here's Jesus coming alongside the way. They, they all of a sudden get excited. They've heard things about him and they begin to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They're very aware of their condition. They're very aware of how desperate it is. But it seems like there's a glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, this person can help us and what we are facing. And what we see is Jesus doesn't ignore them. He doesn't just keep walking on. He stops. He moves towards them with compassion. And in just a moment, the tragic story and trajectory and end their lives are heading in is altered forever. They are healed. Jesus sends them to the priest in order for them to be validated so that they can fully re-enter into society. Healthy, whole, family, friends, neighbors, they can go back. And for nine of them, they go on their way and they never return. One of them, Samaritan, non-Jew, this foreigner, finds his way back to Jesus. Don't know how far that might have been. When he saw that he was healed, turned back and praised God with a loud voice, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. What we see here is that in the nine that never came back, there's what you might call a gap of gratitude. This gap between what God had done for them and their response of gratitude and thanks and wonder. And this is a gap that, if we're honest, exists in all of us. This gap between who God is for us and what he's done and how we feel about it and how we respond to it and how moved we are by it. 
In the beginning of Psalm 103, it points out two problems that we have. The first problem I'm going to say is indifference. By indifference, what I mean is sometimes our hearts just don't care. We lack the motivation, desire to live as grateful people. We're not moved by what has been done for us. So over the last few years, there's been a steady increase of commercials on TV for exercise equipment like Peloton. And so a common feature of these new stationary bikes that um, have, are being made is that uh, right in the front, they have this big screen on them. And the reason for this is pretty simple. They've discovered through extensive and very detailed research that uh, nobody wakes up, gets out of bed and looks at a stationary bike and says, I want to ride that <laughs> until my knees ache and my feet feel like they want to fall off. And then I want to ride it some more. It's brilliant. They had to go through all this research to discover that. So part of the genius behind Peloton is they've found a way to bring this intense instructor with lots of energy who can yell directly at you through the screen to tell you, get on your bike, keep going. And when you're thinking about stopping, don't stop, go hard. That's why one of the taglines on their website is tap into motivation whenever you want it. They know something that's very basic about humanity, that we need help even doing things that are good for us. We need motivation. We need to be encouraged. We even need to be challenged. As much as we might want it to be otherwise, as much as we might want to wish that gratitude and love just just flows out of us so much that sometimes we've got to turn it down a little and close the faucet off. The, the reality is simply that's not true. It's not like this fire hydrant that's just been opened up and gushing forth. It's often like this sink that just drips and you wonder if, there, if there's anything more that can come out of there. So many of us tend to have a, a grass is greener kind of mentality. That the way we approach life is simply that we're so aware of what we don't have. We're so aware of how life is not the way we want it to be. And we look around and see others who have what we want. And we find this, this well of gratitude and thanks just, just all dried up. The Psalms are aware of this. They're, they are honest about how we are made. Think about how the psalm begins, verses 1 through 2. Verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise the Lord. As strange as it may sound, this psalm, this prayer starts out not with this individual talking to God, but who are they talking to? If you look closely, they're talking directly to themselves. O my soul, all my inmost being. It's someone who is looking at themselves and urging, motivating, encouraging, challenging towards something. It is a person who is looking at their own hearts and saying, I feel nothing right now. I feel 
no gratitude. I feel little love. I know that's not the way it ought to be. And I want it to be something very different, but this is who I am. This is where I am right now. And I love the honesty of the Psalms. They, they help us to see that the life of faith is not just one where it is a mountaintop experience all the time. There are ups and downs and turns sideways and backwards. But even though the Psalms are honest, they're not cynical. They don't just look at where we are and say, oh, well, that's just me. That's just how I am right now. That's just what's going on right now. They, they're honest about where we are, but they're moving us in a particular direction. They're helping us to fight for something better. In our lives, the struggle against indifference is real for all of us. And we need a call like this that goes not to just us doing the motions in an external way, but says, all that is inside of me. Praise the Lord. But if we dive a little deeper, but be below these unmoved hearts and these ungrateful hearts that we so often have, what we'll find is our second problem, which I'll call forgetfulness. Verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not all his benefits. I remember years ago when my grandmother began to suffer from dementia. And it started off with some very small things like her forgetting medicine for my grandfather when he was going through his cancer treatment. We watched as just it was small details that began to passed from her, and then it it began to to grow. Uh, She began to forget places. It grew to the point where she began to forget friends. And it gets really sad when they begin to forget who you are. But I think it's most sad when it gets to the point where they begin to forget who they are. There's There's a kind of forgetfulness that God warns us over and over and over about. It's having the reality of who He is and what He's done and who we are in relation to Him slowly fade from our minds so that it no longer makes any difference in how we live our lives. So if if indifference and forgetfulness are these two barriers, these two problems that block our way to gratitude, then what's the pathway? That brings us to our second point, the pathway to gratitude. The Psalms don't just throw in the towel. They're calling us to something different. They're supporting and strengthening us. And Psalm 103 does this in two different ways. And the first is, is... challenging and the second is remembering. And I've already said a little bit about the the first and so we're going to spend more time on the second, but before we move there I just want to I just want to remind you of this reality of the Christian faith that the Christian faith is many different things, but in all things it's a fight. It's a fight to grow, 
It's a fight to love. It's a fight to give thanks. It's a fight to serve. It's something that does not come naturally. It is an upstream paddling. The Christian life and growth and maturity doesn't happen passively downstream. And so there's a question that sits for everyone. What are you going to do this week to fight for this kind of gratitude? Do you find yourself embodying this kind of urgency and this desperation saying to yourself, praise the Lord, oh my soul, when you find yourself in these places of indifference and forgetfulness? Or do we simply just look at ourselves and say, well, I'm just not feeling it. That's just the way I am. The Psalms are guiding us, challenging us. Uh, And as much as we love to be, I love to be pat on the back and told how well I am doing at every aspect of life. The scriptures in pursuing what's good for us, God often gets into places where we feel uncomfortable and nudges and urges and motivates and presses us on into places where we would not go on our own. The one I want to focus on, though, is this idea of of remembering. If you fast forward to the end of the psalm, there's a call for all creation to join in the celebration. Praise the Lord, angels, mighty ones who do his bidding, obey his word. All his heavenly hosts, you as servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. And so apparently there is a build up to this large crescendo this climactic finale of the fireworks saying, I want all creation to join into this. And before that, what's happened is we receive a list of things that we are meant to remember. When Dick Webster's dictionary describes grateful as appreciation for benefits received. Now, before I read this litany, and there's so much in these, each of these that we could dive into, I, I want to kind of frame it to give you a little bit of a picture of, of how I think what this psalmist is doing works. So, not too long ago, a good friend of mine, Mr. Jim Garver, gave me a nice gas-powered chainsaw. I love it. My electric one broke. It didn't work that well anyways. He said, if, if you want to cut stuff, this is what you need. So it works differently than an electric one. Uh, you pour gasoline in there, but if you just try to start it right off to get this power going, to get this cutting going, it's not going to work. What do you have to do first? Uh, there's a, a little button on the side. It's a little plastic bubble that you press. Press five, ten times. What does that button do? What that button does is it primes the pump. It it gets gasoline to go into the chamber so that when you pull that, sparks are going to go off and and this engine is going to start and power is at your hands and you can cut down whatever you want in your yard. You see how that works? What's happening here is is this psalmist is helping us prime the pump. It's it's like starting off saying, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I need to be. But with each of these reminders, it's, it's pumping gasoline into the tank of our hearts with the hopes that the Holy Spirit 
will provide a spark and the result will be worship. Gratitude. Gladness. Because sometimes our hearts just aren't there. We need that kind of help. Forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins. Not just some of them, not just the lighter ones, all. He's the healer of all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things. He renews your strength so that it's renewed like the eagles. He works righteousness for the oppressed. He helps. Works justice for the vulnerable. He makes His ways known, His deeds known to His people. He's revealing Himself. He's patient. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Those each are pumps that I wish we could spend more time on and I think it would be good for all of us to sit in those this week. But I want to just highlight two aspects of those, of these benefits that belong to God's people. I want to, two characteristics you might say. The first is that God's love towards us is wildly unfair. And the second is that it's incredibly personal. And we're going to be landing the plane with these. Uh, If you're a parent or if you work around kids, you will hear a lot about what is fair and what is not fair. You will be called to put your black robe on and act as judge deciding what is constitutional within your home. But even as an adult, we may hide it a little better, but we love what's fair. We love what's right. We want to see people get what they deserve, whether good or bad, except when it comes to us. God's economy is very different. We read here, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. So what's the dynamic of this relationship? He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. He doesn't treat us in light of what we've done, in light of our failures, mistakes. He doesn't, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his own. Even though our lives are like a fading flower or grass, he has an everlasting and eternal love for us, a faithfulness that goes from generation to generation. Uh, We tend to have very small views of God, of his grace, of the gospel, and I love how he continues to use language that busts those. High as the heavens are above the earth. You can't measure it. That's the point. As far as the east is from the west, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's just this vast distance. They never meet. And there's purpose in that. God's trying to say, whatever your conception of is my love, it's bigger than that. I promise you. 
You can't imagine a, a bigger love than God has for you. You can't outbank it. I have a hard time doing that. I want to make it something much more smaller, much more manageable, something that fits kind of how I've done. Jared, you, you've, you've been okay this week. You've been good. Here's how I feel about you. And God's economy, how he relates is so different. It's wildly unfair. And that's good news. And lastly, it's incredibly personal. Sometimes we can think of God's love as something that is very generic. It's, it's out there. We can find it very, a lot easier to say, for God so loved the world than for God so loved me. I heard this quote earlier this week that stuck in my mind from J.I. Packer, and I want to share it with you. He says, there's tremendous relief in knowing his love to me is utterly realistic. Here's what he means by realistic. His love is based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me so that no discovery can disillusion him about me and quench his determination to bless me. Whenever we enter into relationships, one of our fears is that the other person is going to figure out who we really are. And they're going to respond with a sense of, I didn't know that. Uh, okay. Uh, I didn't quite know that you were like that. I didn't know that you'd done that. It moves back. God's love towards us. God goes in with both eyes fully open, fully aware. His love is realistic. It's based in reality of who we are. And the language of a father having compassion, it's deeply personal towards us. If, if we are not able to personalize the love of God, we will not be able to have the kind of joy and gratitude that we are invited into. It's got to be personal. It's got to be owned. And that takes time. Hopefully, what we learn from the Psalms is it's not just, a, okay, we heard a message, we're going to embody it, and now we're all good. This is the journey of a lifetime of going through these patterns. God's wildly unfair and incredibly personal love would come to full bloom in Jesus. And I'll talk a little bit more about this when we come around his table in just a moment. Because while we are indifferent, while we are forgetful, God is not. Our gratitude is a response to who he is and to what he's done. In the gift of Jesus, we see a God who remembers us. A God who knows the worst about us and a God who moves towards us, who holds nothing back. Even to the point of death on a cross. The ultimate pathway to gratitude is Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's encourage each other out of our indifference, out of our forgetfulness into into a heart that remembers and into a heart that is moved by his goodness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your mercies that have been shown to us. High as the heavens, far as the east is from the west, better than we can measure. We pray that uh, you would 
impress upon our hearts, helping us to remember good things about you have done and that our hearts might respond with gratitude and wonder and love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.